Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Brian Kilmeade, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, February 16th, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. A big crime wave is rottening the Big Apple. And a former New York City police commissioner thinks this is a big part of the problem. You walk down the street and see people who obviously need help. A lot of homeless people uh, who, who are showing that they, they have a significant uh, mental issues. And Lisa Brady, a now former executive who says she was forced out for speaking out, is hoping courage is contagious. When these terms are attached to you, anti-science, racist, who wants to hire you? So people are afraid for a reason. You may end up without a job. But if enough people do it, that can't be the way forward. And I'm Tammy Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. 2022 has been a violent year so far in a lot of cities, especially New York. Shootings and robberies up almost 40 percent. Grand larceny, a type of theft, has surged 68 percent. Transit crime is up 65 percent. He hit me multiple times with my face just to make sure I couldn't make any noise. Mew Jila Yaliewicz was attacked on a subway platform in November, beaten and groped. And she also told Fox on Tuesday. And he took my purse before he's gone. It was all caught on video. And finally, last week, a suspect with a long criminal history was arrested. Arrested. We should do a better job making sure dangerous people are not on the street. Mayor Eric Adams also reacted to a murder last weekend. A woman in Chinatown was followed into her apartment, police say, by a homeless man who then killed her. That suspect was free while facing charges in three other crimes. He's a poster person for a failing system. A system the mayor says he's trying to change. Well, I think we're in a bad way in uh, New York City. The city has definitely deteriorated. Former New York City Police Commissioner Ray Kelly is now CEO of the Guardian Group. I know the new mayor is attempting to uh, address crime, and uh, I wish him well in that regard. Uh, But uh, he has a lot of hurdles. And one of the hurdles, of course, as we've seen, is the state legislature. Uh, we're in a difficult time, and I think uh, you know New York will always be in New York, and New York will come back. The question is, how long does it take to uh, to get there? And right now, I, I don't I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, the, the mayor did take a train up to Albany on Monday. He wanted to get support in the state legislature to try to change laws related to bail reform. What did those laws do, do you think, to the situation we're in now? Uh, What the mayor is looking for is to put in the New York state law what's in the law in in 49 other states. And that is that even in this, this move to bail reform, Judges have the ability, have the discretion to make a determination on, quote, dangerousness 
and decide to whether or not remand somebody to put them in uh, in jail to for the public good. That's what's being uh, looked at. The state legislature adamantly refused to do that when this law was being initially discussed, which, by the way, was uh, was in camera. It was done in, in closed quarters uh, with no real public discussion at all. Commissioner, in your opinion, at the moment, judges have their hands tied. It has to be a really, really serious crime to keep somebody behind bars now? Yeah. I mean, basically what bail reform did was to make virtually everybody who commits a misdemeanor, not, you're not able to hold them on bail. And there are some felonies as well that, that fit into that. But, uh, you know, we saw this individual with terrible, terrible crime where the woman was followed home and then uh, stabbed, uh, uh, I think, uh, you know, 40 times. Uh, he was out. Because he he committed a crime, he was destroying the machines, the MetroCard machines. But it wasn't a felony, and it wasn't one of those. So, so that that's why he was out. Okay, it's because of bail reform change. Right, and he had three open cases, and he was being supervised. There have been others who uh, have committed crimes. There's a man who's accused of attacking a model on the subway several months ago, and he's had uh, dozens and dozens of arrests. In one instance, he was arrested like 13 times in one day or something like that. When people hear yeah. that, they, they want... They want to change that. They want that change. They say, well, but but how does that change? Well, again, it depends on, on the crime we're, we're talking about. If it's right. a, a felony, judges have discretion uh, to hold this individual uh, in bail, you know, with bail or even with no bail, depending on the severity of the, you know, the circumstances. But, yeah, the state legislature plays, a, you know, an important role in this, and they... Uh, they have a supermajority. They, they can do what they want. And uh, it's sort of like a finger in the eye of the public. Now, there's concern about the new district attorney in Manhattan who took office in 2022. And one of the things that Alvin Bragg has wanted to do is have less incarceration. And what he wants also is to reduce charges filed by police. An armed robber who uses guns or other deadly weapons and like a stick up on a store or other businesses, that can be done down to a misdemeanor. And if you have a weapon other than a gun, uh, that can be downgraded to a misdemeanor. Drug dealers can also be have a lower crime uh, alleged and, and, and burglars also can have a lower level uh, crime. What does this do, do you think, to the situation in New York? I know the critics of the uh, the new DA believe this soft on crime policy is going to only add to crime. Do you agree with them? I, I do. And I just can't believe the tactics that the Alvin Bragg used to put this type of memo out during what people perceive to be a crime wave on day one of his term makes no sense at all. We know he... He, he said that going to prison or going to jail is the, the, the last possible option. Right. Um, it, so, it, you know, that's where we are. Sorry, Commissioner. He sorry. says he wants to focus and free up resources to focus on violent crime as opposed to what he thinks are lower level crimes. He's got like 600 district attorneys there. You know, it's not a question of resources. They have plenty of resources. He has plenty, uh, plenty of money there as, uh, as well. So uh, that's that's a bogus argument. 
I think the uh, anti-crime units should be packed on the street. These, uh, this unit or units uh, have been in existence in the NYPD for 50 years. They've been a very valuable crime-fighting uh, group uh, for decades. The last administration, unwisely in my opinion, removed them from the streets, actually just disbanded them. So I think they've got to be put back. It's not a panacea, but it certainly means that people who are out there uh, looking to commit crime are going to have to at least look over over their shoulder. It should be put in in the form that he previously was. I know this administration is talking about putting police in some sort of uniform and with their name, uh, you know, clearly visible on this on this uniform. That's not going to work because you need an element of surprise. Mayor Eric Adams is putting in place anti-crime units, but says they won't be out profiling and officers will be wearing body cameras. Two weeks ago, President Biden went to New York City. The answer is not to defund the police. It's to give you the tools, the training, the funding to be partners, to be protectors. He visited days after the funerals for two officers killed by someone with a stolen gun. And the president says they'll crack down on gun trafficking. But former Commissioner Kelly believes they need to bring back stop and frisk to find those illegal guns. It's something that needs to be done, you know, in a thoughtful way if we're going to address the uh, gun problem in New York. Uh, You know, there's estimates of a million guns, two million guns in New York. We don't know, but there's a lot of guns. And uh, unless you have the ability to do these field stops, uh, you're not going to be able to, in my judgment, significantly cut down uh, the number of shootings. Well, the the, um, the accusation, Commissioner, for stop and frisk was it was abusive, it was racist, it was profiling, and it led to mistrust, and people on the streets did not trust police officers anymore. That was sort of the argument when it was gotten rid of. What's your response to that? Yeah, well, I, I disagree with all of that. We can talk about that for a long time. But it's important to note that it, it was not gotten rid of, but it was a decision that it was unconstitutional as applied by Judge Shira Shinlin. She held the case for 14 years. There was no jury trial. It was only this judge. She was, after she made the decision, she was removed by the, the uh, appellate division for pretrial things she said uh, in pretrial, you know, publicity statements that uh, that she made. So uh, it is a valuable tool. It has to be used. Uh, otherwise, I mean, you know, if you get a call, a suspicious man at 2 o'clock in the morning standing in front of your house, what do you want the police to do? Show up? They just drive by and wave to them or what? You, you need that um, function. Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a progressive Democrat who championed the defund the police movement, represents parts of New York City in the Bronx and Queens and says rising violence affects her community. And in many cases, it's young people, especially men. And we allow discourse to make it sound as though it's like these shady figures in the bush jumping out from a corner. These are young, these are boys. Yeah, she calls them boys. And the congresswoman, many simply call AOC, told a New Yorker magazine interview, a big factor is... The mass 
mental health crisis that we are experiencing as a country as a result of the pandemic. She also blames gridlock in Congress. Gee, the child tax credit just ran out on December 31st, and now people are stealing baby formula. But we don't want to have that discussion. We want to say these people are criminals. Commissioner Kelly's reaction? It's kind of ludicrous. Were they stealing baby formula before the tax credit was was put in? Um, you know, these are kind of silly, silly things to say. I mean, I do think we we have uh, a lot of um, people who are are uh, mentally ill and need need uh, service, need uh, need to be addressed by uh, health professionals. I think we need more beds for people with these problems, and we simply don't have them. The legislature has continued refuse to increase mental health facilities. And in fact, the number of beds are being reduced. They're relying all on medication, all on drugs. And obviously, a lot of of people who have these problems don't always take their drugs. And you see it more and more. You walk down the street, you see people who obviously need help. A lot of homeless people uh, who who are showing that they they have significant uh, mental issues. And yet uh, they're just allowed to sort of walk around all the time and get themselves into into trouble. And I think we're going to have this this problem for for a while, and it contributes greatly to the homeless issue that we have on the streets of New York. Former New York City Police Commissioner, now the CEO for the Guardian Group, Ray Kelly. Thank you very much for joining us today. Okay, you're welcome, Dave. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up. During COVID's Omicron surge, most schools in the U.S. have remained open, but thousands did make a temporary return to virtual learning. And now, as COVID cases fall again, the debate over school masking has come roaring back. Not that it ever really stopped. I really do want my kids to be able to go to school with no masks on. I think it does affect their learning and it does affect their social interactions. As court fights over mandates continue, so does the battle on social media, and it can be costly. Jennifer Say was the Levi's global brand president until a few days ago when she announced her resignation, she says, was a forced exit that the CEO had told her recently it was untenable for her to remain with the company after she refused repeatedly to keep quiet on school issues. Say has been an outspoken critic of school closures since lockdown started nearly two years ago. And by March of last year, was telling Fox's Laura Ingram, you know, families I know are scraping together everything they have to either go to private or move to a district or a state that's open because at the end of the day, our kids need to be in school. The mother of four moved her own family from California to Colorado and tweeted last summer about progressive leaders destroying public education and degrading public discourse, adding that she didn't leave the party, it left her. Say says she rejected a million dollar severance offer from Levi that would have included signing a non-disclosure agreement. A statement released by the company only announces management changes, including Say's resignation. You know, I think fundamentally this is a, a matter 
matter of free speech. Say is also an author and a retired artistic gymnast who was on the U.S. women's national team. The stifling of dissent, not just in you know my company, but in companies more broadly, and I would say in the culture at large, is so dominant right now. And, you know, people can't express a point of view that is outside of whatever the accepted mainstream narrative is. And I find that incredibly dangerous. And so I felt it was important to be public about the story for that reason. Now, going public, in addition to ultimately leading to your resignation, really opened you up to a lot of criticism. Some now former co-workers accuse you of being anti-science. What do you say to that? I mean, I think it's patently absurd on its face. You know, I've been accused of that since the beginning of COVID. And, you know, I've been outspoken about school closures being unnecessary and harmful since March 2020. And the accusation, uh, both from employees, but also just people in the world has been, you know, that that is an anti-science perspective and that I don't care if kids are harmed in schools. So I've gotten a little bit used to it because that's been um, flung at me since March 2020. I just think it's very clear now that school closures were a mistake and children were, in fact, harmed. We see significant learning loss. We see kids suffering from depression and other psychological issues. We see kids dropping out. So I think it's very clear that this was not the right decision and a decision very different than what other countries made. And, you know, European countries prioritize kids in school openings. So, yeah, I can live with that accusation because I, I reject it. You've also been accused, though, of being racist, even though you have two black sons and you've pointed out that closing schools can cause the most harm to disadvantaged kids in public schools. What is it about the school debate that hits such a nerve? Well, I think because, you know, fighting for open schools was outside of the dominant narrative, the dominant left wing narrative, really. And so, you know, I think hurling the term racist at someone is a way to shut down any debate and dissent because nobody wants to be accused of that. That's a horrible accusation. And I don't think it matters, you know, what my kids are. The fact is, it's it's clear that, you know, at least where I lived at the time, public schools in San Francisco were predominantly children of color, black and brown children and, and disadvantaged children. And so I think it's an absurd insult. And I think it's meant to stifle debate and shut down the conversation. It's not an honest intellectual engagement with the issues. Levi Strauss and company hasn't publicly denied your claim that you were forced out. Um, The company also hasn't confirmed uh, the $1 million severance you've said they offered to keep you quiet. How did it feel to have that in front of you? Was, Was it difficult even for a moment to say no? Certainly, it's hard to say no to that. And I think they have confirmed it at this point um, as sort of the standard package for executives at my level. It was very difficult. That's security for me and my family. I certainly thought about it. Um, But at the end of the day, I couldn't do it. And I think, like I said, it's incredibly dangerous what's happening, this, this stifling of speech. And what's considered misinformation today is truth tomorrow, but we can't say it. I just I feel like it's an incredibly dangerous path we're on. 
culturally. And I think, you know, it's not just Levi's, they're sort of caught the center of the storm of it, but it's really happening so much more broadly than that. Well, just to play devil's advocate for a moment, I mean, if a, if a company's trying to have the biggest tent possible, in this case, to sell jeans, can you understand why maybe they don't want an employee to ruffle any feathers on political issues? I understand that, but I would say this. Levi's does speak out on very controversial issues, issues that are political, and they've done so in ways that have actually, you know, been challenging from a business perspective. You know, Levi's has continued to take stances that are often controversial, a stance around gun violence prevention, civic engagement, which is really tied to voting, which is is less controversial, but LGBTQ equality and so on. And so, you know, this is not a company afraid of taking a stand that is sometimes controversial. And when I was posting politically about other subjects that were more in line with the narrative, that was fine. And so it's not an issue of political speech. It's really an issue of viewpoint and viewpoint discrimination. And so that's what it comes down to. It's really about the viewpoint I expressed, not the fact that I expressed an opinion that I should add should not be political. I know it is, but, you know, believing kids should be in school, that really should be something everyone cares about. I know you've uh, you've kind of accused the company of being trapped trying to please the mob and not being, you know, truly inclusive. You had been the Levi's president since 2020, but with the brand for 20 years. Is this something you feel that changed during the pandemic? I think it intensified during the pandemic. I mean, there's definitely a viewpoint and one that I, you know, mostly aligned with up until very recently. It's definitely left leaning. It's a San Francisco company, progressive in its its policies, which I I support. They were the first Fortune 500 company to offer same-sex partner benefits. I always felt quite proud of that. But, you know, the world has changed and there's just so much less tolerance for any varying of viewpoints. And so, yeah, I think it's I think it's changed. I, I think what I just struggle with is the issue of children in schools, to me, should not be controversial. And as we all know, it has been for the last two years. And I just feel like that's where we've gone wrong. Yeah. When when companies do try to cater to public opinion, do you think the pressure is always from the outside and social media or are younger workers you know, kind of a new generation forcing their employers to take certain positions? Oh, absolutely. It comes from internally. A lot of the backlash I got was from employees internally sending emails to the CEO. They were seeing some of the response on social media that I was getting, some of the backlash there, and and were in agreement with those who were pushing back on my views and definitely conveyed that internally, whether it was through emails or even public but anonymous comments in, you know, in our town halls about my anti-science views. And so, yeah, I think I, I would weight it towards the employee pressure, honestly. But certainly the external, I'll call it noise, was, you know, unhelpful to me as well. Has this all been worth it, for, for lack of a way to, better way to put it? I mean, walking away from a job that was really a career path, um, uprooting your family. It sounds like you've sacrificed a lot to make a point. I seem to have. <laughs> I seem to have, yes. 
has it been worth it? I mean, moving to Denver was worth it. It was very difficult. I'd lived in San Francisco for over 30 years and I really loved that city. And I have a ton of friends there and so much history, um, but we've adjusted here and we do love it here. As for whether the rest of it's worth it, you know, it's all new. So it, it sort of remains to be seen, but I, I don't feel like I had a choice. You know, I was asked repeatedly over the last two years to, you know, tone it down, pull back, and I found myself not doing it. I just kept thinking about the kids and all the kids that were being harmed. And so it just felt like something I needed to do. And as the speech issues became more dominant in these conversations, you know, that added fuel to the fire for me because I believe so strongly in free speech being a key pillar of democracy. And I, you know, this tiny little microcosm of one company in one city was making that impossible. And I, you know, I would say I've heard from so many former employees and even current saying they've felt the same way. And so I do feel it helps them feel that they can speak out. That said, what people are afraid of when they speak out is this, you know, that they won't have a place to work because you do essentially, you almost become unemployable in a sense when these terms are attached to you, anti-science racist, who wants to hire you? So people are afraid for a reason. You may end up without a job, but if enough people do it, that can't be the way forward. You know, we're going to have to allow for dissent and varying viewpoints. And so I think it's important to stand up and have the courage in that. And hopefully it helps other people do the same. What is next for you now? Well, I'm sort of figuring that out. You know, this is all very new. Um, I do want to write a book. Um, I wrote a book in 2008, which was a memoir about my time in gymnastics and the abusive coaching practices. I'd like to write another one about, you know, using one's voice and finding the wherewithal to do that because it is a lifelong journey. I've had to learn the lesson again and again as to how to do it and how to kind of find the courage to do it. So that's one thing. I want to write a book. And I just started my own production company. I, I made a film. I produced a film uh, that came out in 2020 called Athlete A about, again, about the abuses in the sport of gymnastics, especially, um, you know, the story around Larry Nasser, the USA gymnastics doctor who sexually abused hundreds of young athletes. And I, um, it got a great response. We won an Emmy and I am going to um, make my own films now. So those are my two areas of focus. Sounds like plenty to focus on. <laughs> so uh, we certainly wish you luck in, in those endeavors. And thank you again for your time. Jennifer Say, former global brand president for Levi's and, and author. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Bruce. What's on your mind? 
It's been fascinating watching various blue cities and states suddenly reverse themselves on mask mandates for children and their other onerous and even anti-science COVID-19 edicts. For two years, we watched and were pummeled by seemingly arbitrary rules about masks, behavior, lockdowns and distancing. And then like magic, Democrats and their media enablers were struck by a sudden epiphany that mask mandates were no longer needed. What changed? The year changed into a year with a midterm election, that's what. All these emergency rules to save everyone's lives are apparently not so necessary, proving again the argument that the efforts to micromanage our lives, destroying mental health, crushing small businesses, and the education and well-being of children, absurdly done in the name of safety, has all along been about politics and control. The only thing that has changed is what best suits the election prospects of Democrats. For a year now, the fecklessness and incompetence of the Democrats has been on full display. Their disconnect from the American people is a nonpartisan catastrophe for them. Most average people, Democrat, Independent or Republican, care about the children, the future and the safety of their families. All of that has been smashed by the Biden administration and its enablers. Throughout the last year, polls have been brutal for Mr. Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. The latest Real Clear Politics average has Mr. Biden at his approval nadir with 39.8%, disapproval at 54.4%. Their awakening to the disaster of all of their policies is also tied to the Democrats launching their own internal polls as the primary season comes up. The November election is one thing, but both parties are dealing with primaries which, from which they will select their nominees. The earliest is in March, with most unfolding in May and June. What the Democrats and their candidates are seeing from polls of likely voters in their own party must be a complete disaster. Virtually in unison, blue states and cities are abandoning mask mandates almost as quickly as Biden abandoned Americans in Kabul and Ukraine. Massachusetts and New York just announced that they, too, are lifting mask mandates. This follows Connecticut, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and even California. But some, like New York and California, are leaving in place the masks for children. Who are these people that lifting the mask mandate for adults is fine, but then leave it in place for kids, the least vulnerable? Once again, it confirms the deadly and abusive politics of the Democrats. It's the teachers' unions they're worried about, not our children, no matter what the harm. You and yours are expendable. The good news is the quiet rage being gauged in polls is forcing these tiny tyrants to reverse themselves. But it should never have happened in the first place, and they will do it again given the chance. No matter their frantic effort to erase the reality of their intentions, we will not forget... And we'll continue to make our feelings known at the school board meetings, at our city councils, and during elections throughout this year, locally and nationally. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.